All right. Thank you, guys. Good seeing you. Thank you for being a part of our worship experience today, especially if you're our guest. We are uh, glad that you're here in person or watching online, joining us online this morning. We're grateful that you're here. It's good to be back with you after being in East Texas last uh, weekend. I was doing uh, a wedding in uh, Johnny's old stomping grounds in Nacogdoches. And as Johnny will tell you, what really struck out, stuck out to me on those as I was traveling these back roads between, uh, between Tyler and Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches, really. It's a, it's a very rural part of the world, just behind the pine curtain. It's really kind of a world unto itself, and, and, and I'm from there, so I can be critical of it all I want. But, uh, but it, it's interesting, the religious expressions, whenever you drive through those backwoods and back roads, uh, you'd come across signs every so often. They're not too far apart, but signs like uh, how to, five steps to missing hell and making it to heaven. Then trees, you know, these things are posted on trees, and then, uh, you know, you got five more signs that give you the five steps, you know, over about the next mile that give you the five steps for missing hell and making it to heaven. And then you'd come across another one that says, the flames of hell are hot, but you don't have to be. Uh, And it seemed like this over and over again, my observation of reading these signs was that the theme of of the expression, the, the primary theme of the expression of the Christian faith really was built around eternal damnation in hell. And I was having a conversation with a friend about that who also is from the South, and he said, well, I've always referred to that as the voodoo religion of the South. In my thinking, that only heightens that kind of approach to understanding the magnitude of salvation. the scope of understanding of what it is to be in right relationship with God, that, that it is so much bigger than, and so much more comprehensive that when it's made into something that one-dimensional, just missing hell and making heaven, we dealt with this in our study of the book of Romans. My thinking is, is that only heightens the skepticism regarding the Christian faith that is so prevalent today. And as I was reflecting on those back roads, those farm-to-market roads in between these tall stands of, of trees, this place I call home, I began thinking and reflecting upon these signs as I was passing them. And, and because uh, we live in a day and time when so much religious expression is founded and built upon uh, fear, superstition, sentimentalism, mysticism, or political ideologues. My thinking is that a little skepticism can be healthy. That a little dose of skepticism may actually bring you to a place of better understanding of what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be a a follower of, of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so grateful for our passage today, John 1 and the life of Nathaniel, because Nathaniel really is, to me, he's the embodiment of a, of a true skeptic, someone who questions uh, long understood, long established beliefs. He's willing to question those things, to peel back the layers and to ask the questions of whether or not these are really true or not. When you go through John chapter 1, You're probably more familiar with that first part where John describes his understanding of who Christ is in the beginning was the Word. Uh, 
But in this final half of, of, of John's first, first chapter, uh, we find that Jesus is beginning to call disciples. He's beginning the process of calling those that, that will follow after him. We see it there unfolding in, in verse 35 that John the Baptist was standing there one day with two of his disciples. And he sees Jesus approaching there in, in verse 36. And, and John the Baptist makes the statement to these two disciples of his that are standing there, behold the Lamb of God. And having heard that pronouncement, the two disciples of John the Baptist decide now that they're going to follow Jesus. And they ask him, where are you going? Jesus says, come and, and you will see. That's an important statement. And the understanding of the life of faith and trying to explain the life of faith. That's a significant statement then by Jesus. It is nonetheless significant for us today if we are to have missional conversations with friends of ours that may well be skeptics. Come and you will see. Now, one of these two was, was Andrew, the brother of, of Simon Peter. And we see that Andrew comes to faith, and the first thing that he does is, is to go and find. Go, he goes and finds his, his brother, Simon. It would bring him to Jesus, and of course, we know the story of, of Simon Peter. The very next day, Jesus goes to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Philip answered the call to follow Jesus. The first thing that Philip wants to do is I want to go find my friend Nathaniel. He finds Nathaniel and makes the pronouncement that we have found the Christ. Everyone that you, what you have been studying in the Word of God, what you have been studying in Scripture, in the law of Moses, in the prophets, that one that we have been anticipating. He says that one has come and he has arrived. Now, what I, part of what I would, this is really maybe a, another sermon in its entirety, but before I get into the text itself and, and Nathaniel and his response as a skeptic and how he comes to faith in this, through this relationship that he has with, with Philip, what, what really is, is interesting to me and what I think John may be doing, he's doing a great benefit for us, he's doing a great benefit for the church in, in how to have missional conversations. How to talk to people about, about the gospel, especially your friends that, and acquaintances, co-workers that, that are skeptical of, of the Christian faith. Because what we see in, in each one of these, each one of these individuals, these messengers, in each one of these conversions where someone goes to someone and someone goes to someone else, what we see is it's just, it's just individuals, messengers, who have very enthusiastic convictions about what they've discovered. They have very real convictions about what they have discovered and what they have experienced and what they understand about Jesus themselves. And as a result of that, because of what they have experienced in their life, they go to their immediate acquaintances, the, their friendship, the friends, friendships that they have that are established, and they just go to them and they share what they know and what they have experienced. No can spills. They're motivated not by shame, not by guilt as new believers. Oh, no, I've got to go witness to somebody today. None of that. 
It's not a canned approach. It's not some, something that you've m- memorized and you bumble through on a doorstep somewhere. It's just individuals that have convictions regarding their life, their experience with Jesus, their understanding with him. And out of that, they just have a natural conversation. And I think we need to hear that, that these missional conversations emerge out of natural conversations. You don't have to stage it. You don't have to make someone into your project. It's not, someone's not, not an agenda where you just mark it off that I've talked to someone. What God does supernaturally emerges out of the natural. Natural conversations. And from that, supernatural things happen. And as I read the account of Nathaniel and his experience in, in coming to faith, I think what it reveals to us that, that when, when rightly approached, when, when rightly addressed, even your most skeptical friend, like Nathaniel, has an opportunity to come to faith if they are rightly approached. And I want you to notice Nathaniel's experience. As his friend comes to him, as he broaches the subject, knowing that this will be a topic of natural interest for his friend, Nathaniel, I want you to notice the result in the life of a skeptic. The first thing that that occurs in the life of this skeptic, Nathaniel, is he gives consideration to the facts. He's willing to consider the facts. That is, the facts as they are presented by by Philip. Philip found Nathaniel. There's, again, a testimony of how you, do, you go find someone. You go, you go find your friend. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets also wrote. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, I want you to, I want you to notice what Philip did did, and what Philip considered to be an entry point to having this conversation. He knew his friend well enough. He knew that Philip was someone who was studying the scriptures, that Philip was a, a man that was attuned, that Nathaniel, his friend, was attuned to the things of God. And as a result of that, he was someone that studied the law of Moses. He studied the words of the prophets. He was anticipating something. And so Philip, knowing, having an entry point, knowing that his friend Nathaniel is very much interested in these things, goes to him and says, listen, Nathaniel, I think we found what we're looking for. What Moses talked about, it's here. What the prophet spoke of and anticipated, he's arrived. He's here. And what we see eventually in the next verse, Nathaniel's going to give a skeptical response Nonetheless, because he's friends, because he has a friendship with Philip, because he trusts Philip, because he knows Philip has a genuine interest in in him, because they have established a relationship with one another, even though he gives a skeptical response, he's at least willing to listen to the facts. 
That's what a legitimate skeptic is willing to do. A legitimate skeptic who has very real intellectual issues with the faith, with the concept of, of faith, my experience has been is that, is that if, 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 they, if they know you're a friend, someone that has a genuine interest, in, you have just a relationship with them. They're at least willing to listen to the facts of, of what it is that, that you believe. There's nothing wrong with being a skeptic. Nothing wrong with having questions about, about your faith or what it is to be a person of, of faith. I mean, John the Baptist, I mean... John the Baptist, by definition, he's a skeptic. Matthew 11, when he's sitting in, in prison, he's starting to have some questions, some doubts. I mean, his, his preconceived notions of what was going to happen, listen, you put yourself in the position of John the Baptist and in his preconceived ideas of what the Messiah was going to be about when the Messiah came, this one that he knew, uh, this one who was anticipated, Jesus, do you think John in his mind really considered that when the Messiah comes, I get to sit in prison? Of course not, it's ridiculous. And so he's sitting in a prison He's skeptical. And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Or should we expect another? Now, I love the response of Jesus to the inquiries of John the Baptist. He didn't tell his disciples, oh, listen, you, tell, you go back and you tell that, John, I am just appalled at his questions. I cannot believe after all the things that he has seen and experienced about me, that he would even ask such a question about that. Not at all. Jesus answered him, said, this is, listen, this is what I want you to do. And you know what Jesus does? He essentially recites scripture because he knew John the Baptist was a man as a skeptic. He's, he's going to be looking for some objective, not emotive, not subjective, he knew that John the Baptist is a skeptic that's going to be looking for some objective evidence that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he is. So Jesus quotes Scripture. I want you to go report to John what you see, what you hear. Those who are blind receive sight, and those who limp walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed, and those who are deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the good news, have the gospel preached to them. Everything that the psalmist spoke of, everything that the prophets spoke of, you go tell John what you see and what you have heard. See, that's what a skeptic looks for. They're not going to trust emotional experiences. You tell them about your emotional experience. Nothing wrong with having emotional experience, but to a skeptic who's having real intellectual issues, they're smart enough to know that, that emotions and feelings are subjective and everybody can have their own, uh, their own subjective emotions. They're looking for more. They're going to measure things by objectivity, and, and Philip knows that about Nathaniel. That's why he quotes the law and the prophets. Nathaniel, everything you're looking for, in Jesus has been fulfilled in his life in ministry. And because of that, Nathaniel as a prophet, he was willing to consider the facts. Second thing you'll notice about this skeptic like Nathaniel, 
that even when he is willing to consider the facts, when presented with them, there's some confusion over the facts. Note in verse 46, Nathanael said to him, and this is the classic response of, 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 a, of a skeptic, Nathanael said to him, can anything be good from Nazareth? Can he, are you telling me that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, comes from some backwater town like, like Nazareth? You see, Nathaniel, like all of us, have the, he had these preconceived notions of what it was going to be like when the Messiah come. I'm sure, I'm sure he had this anticipation that there, was going to be, that there was going to be this grandeur, that there was going to be all of this majesty, that, 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 the, that the Messiah would probably emerge from a palace, not a horse trough. And so he just could, he couldn't reconcile this. So there's a bit of skepticism. And in his study of Moses and the prophets, I don't see any mention of this backwater town like, like Nazareth. Do you know, you know today that response of Nathaniel would, would be considered offensive? Very politically incorrect. To sit there and ask, with that tone, that derogatory tone, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, you'd be vilified today with that kind of response. I was reading in a couple of years ago, this was in the Chronicle of Higher Education. It seemed that the state of California on this particular day shut down the, the, the it, if you were in an administrative role in higher education in the state of, uh, in the state of California, uh, they were going to have a, an online seminar about proper hiring practices. And they were going to cover all the questions that are appropriate, the questions that are inappropriate. And one of the questions that, and, and the, the whole list was pretty amusing, but one of the questions that, that you cannot ask a potential hire in the state of California. When it came to hiring for higher education, you could not sit down with the candidate and say, hey, where are you from? Because when you ask someone where they're from, you're implying that where they're from is inferior to where you're from. I mean, it listed those kind of questions over and over and over again. So the question that, that, or the answer that Nathaniel, boy, today he, he would be vilified for, for being critical of a town like, like Nazareth. It doesn't fit in with my preconceived notions of what the Messiah is going to be and what he's going to be like. But I want you to notice the response of Philip. It's not unlike the declaration of Jesus when Jesus said, come and, and you will see. Philip said to him, and it's the perfect response, come and see. Listen, don't try to make it fit in with your preconceived notions. You've got to come and see. I want you to see it with, with both eyes. I, I want you to see what this one is doing. Don't just, don't just take it from me. Now, the implications of, of this statement, and, and this is one we need to use often. This is, this is really kind of our go-to phrase when it comes to our friends who are skeptics. Just come and see. But when you say that, when you tell your skeptical friends, listen, come and see. There, there's two implications to this. The first one is, is that the Christian faith 
can stand up to, to rigorous intellectual inquiry. You need to understand that, church, that the Christian faith, it is a very robust intellectual position. The Christian faith can stand up to rigorous intellectual inquiry. Back in the 1740s, there were two brilliant Oxford students who sought to, to uh, dis, they, they were trying to repudiate, they, they were trying to repudiate the, the Christian faith and their, and their approach in doing this was, was very interesting. They considered, they considered the two most significant events in Christian history to be the conversion of Saul, the apostle Paul, and also the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And so these two Oxford students sought to refute those two events, thinking that if you can refute these, the whole thing will come crumbling down. And so Gilbert West, this one Oxford student, Gilbert West took the resurrection of Christ. George Littleton took the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And after, a, after more than a year of, of inquiry in, in a year and over a year of, of study and, and examination, they were working independent of each other. But after more than a year, they both came to the same conclusion. Wes coming to the conclusion that the resurrection is legitimate. While Littleton came to the conclusion that the conversion of Saul was legitimate. And during that process, where two atheists were trying to deconstruct the Christian faith, both of them came to faith. That's what I mean when the Christian faith can stand up. It has its own legs. It can stand up to rigorous intellectual inquiry. But here's the second implication. When you say to someone, your skeptic friend, come and see, the moment you say that, you become the hermeneutic of the gospel. That is uh, understanding that hermeneutics is the science of biblical interpretation. You become the hermeneutic of the gospel. When you say come and see, you as their friend, you become the means by which that person is interpreting the gospel and the implications of it for life. Now, at no time in history is that implication more important. Philip talked to a friend who had a natural curiosity about Scripture, who had given himself to the study of scripture so that he could recognize the Messiah when he came. We live in a day and culture in a day and time when there is tremendous ignorance regarding the word of God. Sadly, even within the confessing church in the West, there's a dereliction of basic biblical knowledge. And so when you talk to your skeptical friends, they're not going to have a biblical reference point. You are the hermeneutic. Your life and how you live. And listen, this is why we're going to start James 1 next week. 
We're going to go through James, all five chapters, verse by verse, just like we did through the book of Romans, because unless, if we understand the power of our witness and the influence of our witness, then we must have a basic understanding of, of this matrix of ethics by which we as a community of faith are to live our lives. Paul understood that. I mean, there was, no, there was no biblical reference for that early church, for like the church at Philippi. Paul would say to them, the things you've seen and heard in me, practice those things. There was no given text at that time, so Paul had the audacity to say, listen, you want to know what it's like to be a follower of Christ? You just imitate me. What you see me do, things you hear me say, you do those things. And church, that is a significant power. That, that is a significant trust that has been given to you, that you are the hermeneutic. You are the proclamation of the gospel. You are the interpretation for your skeptical friends of what the gospel looks like and what it means in life. And then we see that this skeptic, Nathaniel, he comes to a confession of the facts Notice verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Man, this guy, what you see, uh, what you see, and that's what you get. This guy doesn't put on airs for anybody. He's, he's honest. He's transparent. What you see is what you get. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathanael knew exactly what he was saying. Being versed in the scriptures, he knew the significance of this confession and the implication of this confession that, that he is making, that you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That was not haphazard. I mean, to pronounce and confess Jesus as the Son of God, the significance of that can also be seen when Jesus would make this claim for himself, the Pharisees, they accused him of blasphemy. That's how significant this, this, this confession really is. So he understood fully. He understood fully, this skeptic, he understood fully what he was saying in the implications of what he was saying. You see, the reality of what happens when you're confronted with Christ and you come to this understanding of who he is and the claims that are made of who he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Redeemer of the world, that in and through him, God is going to accomplish his redemptive purposes. When you come to that understanding, you're at a crossroad. You're at a place of decision-making in your life. You're, you're at a place where you have to determine, is this going to define who I am or am I going to walk away from this? There is no indifference. By your indifference, by your delay, you're making a choice. 
Now, his questions didn't go away. See, you don't have to give up your questions to be a follower of Christ. There's nothing wrong with having questions. But, but the questions of, of today, will they'll eventually give way to the questions of, of tomorrow. And what we have to guard against is allowing our questions, especially if we're a skeptic, is allowing your questions to become excuses for not committing. You know the most often asked question by a skeptic? Skeptics always want to reconcile the suffering of the world. Well, if God is all loving, all powerful, then why doesn't God do Why is there suffering in the world? And it's really a disingenuous question. My response is, so well, let, let me ask you a question. Why, why is there joy in the world? Well, what does that have to do? Well, if, if, you're, if you're placing on me the burden of explaining uh, as a man of faith, if you're placing on me the burden of explaining uh, why there is suffering in the world, then, then you have to explain to me why there's joy in the world. <laughs> well, that really defies explanation. I mean, there's so many different variations and things, circumstances that brings joy, you know, why, why a person would be joyful. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you can, you, can, you, can, you can have all these philosophical debates and philosophical conversations. That, I mean, they just go into rabbit holes. And they're unceasing. I mean, I have more questions now than when I started in the life of, of faith. Nothing wrong with your questions. But what you find is that the questions of today as you're in the journey of life and the journey of, of faith, that the questions I had 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they've given way long ago to the quest, newer questions that I have now. But a skeptic will consider the facts. They'll be confused by the facts. But if they're serious about them, engaging with them, they'll, they'll come around to confessing the facts. And finally, there is a confirmation beyond the facts. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Really, that's it? I mean, that, that's a good place to start, terrible place to end up. You don't want to stay there. You will see greater things than these. Listen, the purpose of miracles, these the, the purpose of miracles, these spectacular manifestations of God's power, this is for the purpose of showing that the kingdom of God has broken in. That my life represents a great inbreaking of the kingdom of God in this world. Listen, the purpose of my miracles, it, 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 it's, not to, it, it's not to entertain the mentally weak or the emotionally needy. There's a redemptive purpose in my, in my, in my miracles, in these spectacular manifestations. You're impressed because I saw you under a fig tree when you didn't see me. It's okay to start there. Just don't end up there. That, that's a shallow kind of faith when it's rooted in me constantly having to perform miracles, perform things that, that, don't, that don't rationalize with this world. You're going to see far more. Truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If you just embark on this journey as a skeptic like Nathaniel, 
What you will discover is that the purposes of God are unfolded before you at a magnitude and in a scale that you would have never imagined when you were just starting off back here. Paul talked to it, spoke to that in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the mind of man, the things that God has in store for those that love him. I'll say to you in closing, don't give up on your skeptical friends. Don't give up on your friends that are skeptics. But listen, you've got to give them more than this kind of salvation that just misses hell and makes it to heaven. We have to offer an understanding of this salvation of the redemptive purposes of God that is about the entire created order. It's not just about me and my sins, missing hell and making heaven. You've got to give them more than that if it's really going to take hold and last in their life. Don't give up on your friends who are skeptics. And don't give up on yourself if you're a skeptic. Come and see. Come and see consistently. And maybe you will believe. Let's pray together. Father, might we be a people in this, world, in this world that is filled with skeptics. Might we be a people who never give up hope. Might we be a people that live a life of faith that is so consistent and in keeping with the confession of our faith that others might be drawn to you, that others might be curious, that others might be willing as these to come and to see. Father, we pray for ourselves that we might be that kind of church as we go out, as we are dispersed into our greater community, that we might have opportunity to be the witnesses of the gospel, that our lives might reflect the transformation that comes about in the journey of faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.